Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Let me just say it's been one of those weeks where I have been excited to come and preach this, this Sunday. Any of you guys ever had uh, that same feeling? You're excited to come and preach on Sunday morning? Yes. Okay, all right. There's a couple of you that preach, right? Let me just say, you do preach sermons, whether you know it or not. Um, maybe not on a platform like this, but you preach sermons every single day. Your life is a life song of what you believe and who you believe in and the person who empowers you through the Spirit if you're a believer. And so let me encourage you in that. Be excited. Step into it. I'm also excited because today, as I've been uh, studying uh, this past couple of weeks, I've been studying Paul's uh, book, his letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, today is demo day. And I actually, I got a t-shirt somebody let me borrow. We throw that up here. I, I didn't have enough hands. It's my lovely assistant. Thank you. Um, I was going to put this on, then I realized that if I mess up this microphone, um, it'll take me three weeks to get it to go again. This says hashtag demo day. This is um, from uh, Magnolia, uh, from the show, maybe you've seen uh, Fixer Upper before, anybody in here uh, that wants to admit it, right? Yeah. I've been told that I look a little bit like Chip from the show. Maybe it's the goofiness, maybe it's the red hair, I don't know. I'm going to lay this right here, though. Um, We might get back to that, we'll see. But this idea of Demo Day, especially for uh, Chip and Joanna, is exciting for one of them because it's this moment where destruction takes place, where the old is destroyed so that the new can become. Anybody in here like Demo Day? Not Demonstration Day, but Demo Day, Demolition Day. Okay, all right. So all of you liked it when Richland Avenue was closed in, in Athens, or Stimson was closed. That was a lot of fun, right? Trying to find your way through there. I'm just kidding. But that is what takes place a lot of times. At the, at the expense of Demo Day, we see this rebuilding. And sometimes even in life, and sometimes this is even spiritual, we want that rebuilding to take place much, much quicker than it might happen. Right? Demo Day can take place over the course of maybe an hour or a couple hours or maybe an entire day where you, you get in there and you destroy or you get rid of whatever has, has been constructed in the past. And then sometimes there's this slow rebuilding, or in most cases, there's this slow rebuilding to what is intended, what the new construction, what the new masterpiece or work of art is going to look like. Let me just say, last week as we studied uh, the first chapter of, of, letter, of, of Paul's letter, we recognize uh, that he is laying the framework for some very important information. And I, I mentioned this, the first three chapters, or six chapters, the first three chapters detail uh, the, the proper theology, the understanding of the gospel, what salvation is, and while the, 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 the fourth, fifth, and sixth, the final three chapters highlight how to live, how to be different. This first part of chapter one, he takes a moment to really give kind of a once-over of everything, and then comes back in demo day fashion to say, okay, now let's deconstruct all the understanding that you have that is false. Let's let's clear it out and let's start fresh and anew so that we can start fresh and anew with a remodel 
uh, and a new edition. You might be saying right now, well, last week we laid a foundation, didn't we? Wasn't that what we were all about, was laying a foundation? And I think it's intentional. I know it's intentional. I don't know why I said that, I think. Um, I know it's intentional uh, that we use this type of verbiage because as we kind of build this, so to speak, house or understanding of what Paul's uh, gospel says or what Paul's understanding of Christ's gospel is, is that we don't necessarily start with something fresh and new. Instead, we, you and I, are existing beings with existing understanding and experiences and engagement with God and with others. And so, therefore, we have a, a specific knowledge probably at this point that is, that is true, that is good, but there's always room for growth. Anybody want to disagree with me? Everybody agree there's room for growth in our lives? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand or if you don't agree with that, you can turn it off for the next uh, 25 minutes to a half hour. And I'll let you know when I say amen, you can get up and leave. <laughs> that being said, when we look at this, there, there needs to be a clearing even in the midst of having this kind of new addition. Life is an existing structure. We, we are currently existing beings. We're adding on to some uh, extent to the, to the existing structure that we are, not building a new one altogether. And so for you and I, God has something for us today. He wants to build on. He wants to bring forth new understanding. In Paul's first chapter, this is this culmination of the universal headship of Christ. We're all under Christ. We're all in this thing together. But then he goes into uh, this new, uh, more detailed understanding of, of better insight, of this demolition, of this, okay, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to know. Because he knew that the two uh, people that, that made up, the two people groups that made up this church came from two different places. One came from this background of understanding that it's about the rules. It's about doing everything the way that we're supposed to do it, uh, checking all the boxes, following all the rules, and so doing, we, we get to a place where God is happy with us, right? Or in a place where we're holy with him. The other side is it's new altogether, right? They don't want anything to do with the rules. In fact, the rules are, are bad. And so we kind of, we, we, we're going all in on this grace thing and all in on this mercy thing. And, and, and the practice doesn't matter. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to bring these two together under Christ, recognizing that there is some, under, there is some place for the rules, so to speak. There is some place for, for having some structure, some strategy. And at the same time, there's an understanding there needs to be relationship with Jesus. Jesus, and that is rooted in grace, unconditional love, and his mercy. And so this unifying passage in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to walk through the first 10 verses today, and then we'll pick up the rest next week. We see this revisited GPS, or last week we talked about GPS, God's plan for salvation. And what his plan is and what his plan was then and his is today and this idea that this best counsel that he's giving is not uh, for, for who, uh, you know, we want to be or what we want to do, but who, who he is and what he has done in our lives. Because ultimately, no matter what happens in our lives, it's all about Jesus. That's what the gospel is. It's all about Christ and all about his engagement in our lives. Ultimately, we need to do a demo day because of a wrong understanding. And I, I'm going to say this phrase. It's my, my pastor used to say it's about, in some cases, it's about this wrong understanding that we have, this wrong belief that we continue to, to believe, these wrong voices that we allow to get in. It's about this thing called, and what he used to say, stinking thinking. And you giggle, and, and maybe you think, well, that's kind of an interesting phrase. Well, let me just say, you'll remember it. And when you come upon stinking thinking, you're going to say, oh, that is, that is exactly what Paul was referring to. That's exactly what the Spirit is guiding me against. That's exactly what Christ is saying we should not be listening to 
or not be allowing to infiltrate our mind. So Demo Day breaks up the existing paradigm for new beginnings. I want to pause now to pray before we, we jump into the scripture because I want us to allow our minds to be open to what the Spirit might have today. And so I'll encourage you as I'm praying to just open yourself up to what the Spirit might say to you, not the person next to you, but to you through the Word of God today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the fact that while it was written uh, over a course of uh, thousands of years, thousands of years ago, it is still relevant. It is still true today because, God, your word is for all people for all time. I pray, God, that we could, we could find the, 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 the healthy balance between what was intended for a specific time, what was intended literally, what was intended figuratively, and what was intended universally for us today. And may we take those universal timeless truths May we apply them. May, may, we, may we allow, God, your, your truth to engage us. May your spirit speak to each person in here today. May we not be closed off, but may we hear you. God, demo the places in our lives that need to be demoed and allow us, God, to be open and fresh so that you might build new on this new ground. In your son's name we pray, and all of us said together, amen. Amen. So we're going to pick up, or we're going to start, I should say, in Ephesians chapter 2. You can follow along with me if you'd like to. Uh, I'm going to read out of the New International Version, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, as for you, and I love this to begin with, because this is just what I was saying right before I prayed, as for you. Paul knew the people that he was engaging with, and he knew that as soon as he said these instructions, if he didn't start with as for you, that the ones that were over here following the rules were going to say, yeah, okay, now they're going to get it, right? Those mercy and grace, unconditional love, people are going to get it. And he knew that on the other side, that the ones that were over here that were saying, okay, those rule followers are finally going to get it. Same thing for us, right? Have you ever been in a sermon before or been somewhere where you think, man, I really wish so-and-so was here to hear this? Or you kind of nudge that person next to you, are you listening? Are you listening to what they're saying? Right? This right here is Paul saying, hey, don't do that. And as for you, you and I, us, individually, speaking to each person. As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins. Doesn't matter if you followed the rules, doesn't matter if you came in this place of, of unconditional love, regardless, no matter where you're at, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of which the world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves or from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So first things first, we need to know where we come from to understand what God has done. 
This verse and this passage starts out recognizing the fact that we as mere mortals created in the image of God came to this earth or were created on this earth. And, and in so doing, we were the, with the facilitators, the vessels for which sin came into the world. Sin being that thing that separates each one of us. This is the moment where we diagnose the problem, right? When you go to a doctor, typically you go to the doctor and you tell them about your, your, your ailments, your symptoms. They take measurements, they take your height and your weight, and they ask you different questions because they're attempting to try to diagnose the problem. If they started by saying, okay, here's the operation you need, or here's the medicine you need, you'd kind of wonder some. You'd say, well, didn't we kind of skip a step? How are we going to get to the root of the actual issue if we don't first understand what that issue is? And if you're following in your note guide, I've got several for you today. The first one is this. We were dead. We were dead. In essence, we were dead. And the implication that goes along with that is unless we have a true understanding of our true condition before God, we will never come into a right relationship of who he is and what he has done. If we don't know what this death really is, what the implication truly is, we're never going to have a full understanding of what God actually did in our lives. And Paul's understanding of that is crucial because he recognizes the fact that there were some here that were saying, you know what? I've done enough good things. I think God's okay with me. And on the other end, there were some that were saying, I can do whatever I want because God's going to forgive me and I'll get in. And Paul's, uh, his, his call, his, his response is, no, if you just truly understood the condition of your soul, the condition of the death that you lived in or now still live in, if you don't know him, you'll never truly understand what he's done for you. So let's take a, a quick dive into this idea of death, uh, of death, excuse me. This as for you, looking at chapter 1, now taking a look at you, death equals separation. Death is the separation. There's this physical death, which is the first meaning of, of death that we typically would understand. There's also this secondary understanding, which is spiritual death, which is what's being used here. And then there's the third understanding of death, which is this permanent death from God, being separated from God in eternity forever. So these three specific cores of death would have been understood in three different words, not necessarily all under the same one, which we understand them as in the English language, but three different ones. There was physical death, which is not being discussed here. There is spiritual death, which means being separated from God. And then there is the third uh, form, which is permanent death from God, which means that we are spiritually, uh, our, our bodies, our spirit, I should say, have been separated from God. And so this condition of the law starts with death, which is separation in and of itself. But why are, are we separated? Why are we separated from God? The, the reason is this word that we know of, that you've heard before, that you've seen before. If you grew up in, in church and you were in Sunday school, you knew that the right answer, uh, if it was a good thing, was Jesus or the Bible, and the wrong answer was sin, right? Those were the two. If you, got, if you said one of those, you were probably going to be right uh, most of the time. Well, the answer is true even here today for this question. Why are we separated? We're separated because of sin, 
We're separated because of the sin that, that's entered the world. I, I, I once heard a joke actually from uh, a soccer coach, uh, and he was telling this joke about how there was a preacher that came uh, to church, and, and he preached a, a beautiful sermon. He, pre- he preached about all the things that, that we should do and the way that we should live, and he took scriptural passages and he brought them to life and did all these things, and everybody was so uh, struck by what took place. People, they, they prayed, and, and many people changed their lives. Uh, that morning, they, they expressed they were going to change their life forever and they left and the next week they came in and the pastor got up and he preached the same sermon again and the people were kind of puzzled and thought well it's been a rough week for the pastor maybe he forgot or he got his notes mixed up or he got on a roll and thought well you'll see what happens and so they all kind of like oh that's great right and then the third week came around and he came in and he preached the same sermon again and the congregation was like what's going on he said, look, if, if you guys, if you, if you want me to go on to something else, start living what I'm preaching now. Sin is sin is sin. We can't think our way out of it. We can't change it into something else. It doesn't matter what definition we try to give it here in this world. Sin is sin. I, I like to say every week uh, there's, there's something important to note. That, that sin separates us from God. Sin is where everything in your life doesn't honor God. Every worry, every regret, every loss, every failure. When, when things in your life don't honor God. And even if you are not a believer, you recognize sin. Because sin are those places in our life where, where we get anxious, or we get discouraged, or we get frustrated, or we get mad, or we get angry, and it's an unholy thing, or an un, uh, unhealthy thing, where we're, 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 we're attempting to try to hurt someone else, or ourselves. We feel this separation every single day, many times a day for some. Let's discuss and define sin. There's, there's two specific things I want to mention. The first one is this. Sin is failure. If you're taking notes, sin is failure. This is missing the mark. The, the illustration that, that, that Paul was getting at here that the readers of that time would have understood was, was basically someone who was an archer. They were shooting a, a bow, and they, as they would shoot, they would attempt to try to hit the target. They would, they would hit the bullseye. They were trying to attempt to try to hit that spot, that main spot, and his illustration there would have been easy for them to understand. Missing the mark meant not hitting where God intends for us to hit. This, this, this missing of the mark, this missing of what God calls us to do and we don't do it, or not doing, uh, or, or doing what he tells us not to do. Those that were on this side would have fallen more into the rule category. Oh yeah, as long as I do what God tells me to, and I don't do the things that he says not to do, then I'm good. That's, that's, that's the essence of not missing the mark. And those over here would have said, well, I mean, it doesn't really matter because God sacrificed himself for us, so I'm good. I'm going to make it. And so Paul continues with this understanding of sin. And as he continues to address it, it says, as, as for you, you were dead in transgression and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air and the spirit of, uh, who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at this time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And what he does here is he goes from a place of saying, okay, sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we don't measure up to a place of intentional sin. Intentionally doing our own thing. In fact, he goes on to say, and following its desires and thoughts. This is rebellion. 
rebellion, doing our own thing, willful disobedience. This is the more generic understanding of sin, is that when we willfully do what we want to do, and sin is greater than this uh, as far as definition is concerned, but these two specific elements are true in, in the understanding of what Paul is trying to describe and illustrate here. That sin is illustrated in these two ways, in failure, missing the mark, and in rebellion, willful disobedience. This transgressions, this rebellion. And if we don't get it, we'll never realize what God did and never be changed as a result of it. This is being under the penalty of sin. This is being under the power of sin. This is being under the presence of sin. Following the ways of the world. It's interesting to think about this idea of kind of just meandering along. Sometimes uh, when I'm out, out shopping, I'll, I'll just kind of meander along. Whether I'm with somebody else that, that's shopping, my wife is out, I'm just kind of walking along and kind of seeing what she's pointing out. Or maybe I'll meander on my own. I'll go to a place, maybe a sporting goods store, and I'll just kind of meander along with no aimless desire. And kind of the, 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 the signs or the different things that are out might just kind of grab my interest. I kind of walk along and just see those things. Well, that's the same thing Paul Paul's indicating when it comes to sin is we just kind of wander along however the, the day takes us, however culture points us and directs us and says, okay, this is what you need to invest in. These are the things you need to engage in. So we just kind of wander along like a, like a weather vane, right? Whatever way the wind is blowing is the direction to which we point. And Paul knew that there was a lot of this going on because there was a lot of false teachings that were going around. A lot of false teachings that were being adopted by those who considered themselves to be followers of the way, followers of Jesus. Here we see that, that Satan can push that direction. He does direct the, the, the winds of the world, so to speak. And he does so in a lot of ways by, by keeping us busy. I think about this concept of, of busyness, and I, I know sometimes we can wear it as like a badge of, of courage, a badge of like, hey, look, I'm busy, I'm important. But when it comes down to it in this understanding of, of being busy and, and, and looking at our lives as a, a means of trying to, to cram everything we can into the time that we have and to, to do our best to, to, to steward it, so to speak, we even put that kind of language on it sometimes, it is most of the time, the evils of busyness are rooted directly in the desires of one's own heart. And so the question I might have as a response to that is, are we busy because of the inward things that we desire, or are we busy because we've been called and we're following what God has for us? Inward focused, uh, inward desires, selfish desires may look you know, admirable by those on the outside, but in many cases, as we reflect upon this idea of being pushed and directed by the things of this world, busyness becomes one of those specific contents that, that Paul is steering us against, saying, look, sometimes in life, things are going to look good. Sometimes in life, Satan's going to make it seem like this is exactly what you want, but all it is is just being, us being pushed like the weather vane the direction God has for us, or the direction the world has for us, not what God has for us. This gratifying of cravings of our sin is talked about in, in three, reminds me specifically of children. And if you have a young child at home, or maybe a young grandchild, real, real young, like so young that they can't talk yet, all they do is just let you know, hey, I am not happy. 
right? And the way that they do that is through a cry or through a whimper or maybe through a tantrum or whatever it might be. I am not happy. I want changed or I am hungry or I am tired or I am cold or whatever it might be. And it's usually just some sort of, of, of noise that you hope, man, I can't wait for them to talk. And then sometimes you think, man, I, I, I can't believe I couldn't wait for them to talk, right? But when we look at children in general, we look at the idea of a small child, we see this nature of a child, the nature of a baby being this perpetual behavior of, hey, I want this and I want it now. And so this idea in verse 3 of of gratifying the cravings of the flesh is a natural thing that we are born into and it's normal for a child to need to be provided for. But what, what if for just a moment, if we grew up continuing in the same right, in the same way to gratify our desires like when we were a baby. I mean, think about it for just a moment. If you now, as, as mostly adults in here, maybe some students and children in here as well that are a little bit older, if you right now gratified your desires the same way or attempted to the same way as when you were still a child, you're hungry, you just start screaming. You're tired, you just... You, you get angry and you kick your legs and you, you get mad, right? And we think about that in the physical sense. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. But let me just say, these, these individuals that are, being, that are receiving this letter, and even, and even some now today, as we look at the context of our life, spiritually, we're still attempting to do the same thing. When we were a child, either when we first came to faith or we don't know Christ even yet, is we're still in this place where we're attempting to try to, yeah, maybe live this life, but we really want those desires met. And in a selfish way and in a very immature way, we're attempting to try to perpetuate the same behavior of give me what I want now. Which is in essence what the rule followers were doing. Yeah, I want this, but I want to follow the, the rules and I want to get what I need. And then over here, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And God's going to forgive me and I'm good all the way. Verse 4 picks up like this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to to us in Christ Jesus. And then I'll read the first part there. Actually, I'll read all of verse 8. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Quite possibly one of the, the, the most important today, one of the most important points that I could ever express is right here to start this second portion. And that is this. Jesus provides life. Because if we pause after verse 3, it's pretty bleak. We kind of just sit there like, well, we're dead in sin. Our transgressions have, have basically absorbed us. This is life now. But instead, right here, beginning in verse 4, as Paul illustrates it, nope, it's not over. Instead, Jesus provides life. And the implication is uh, right here from Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the implication is, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
We're given life even when we were sinners. But what does this mean? Why does it even matter? Why does it matter that we're given life while we are still sinners? Why does it matter that God chose to step into our lives as sinners, not necessarily after we've given enough or, or worked enough or done enough good deeds? Why does it matter that he stepped into our lives while we were still sinners? And Paul makes that important note here. He makes that important note when he wrote to the church in, in Rome. And, and I want to remind you of this whole idea of God's GPS, of, of God's plan of salvation. God's plan of salvation is to reach into the lives of, of you and I and change our lives so that we might be able to follow him, to, to, to grow in this relationship with him, to become more like him, to, to, to reflect him and his graces and his love. And the point there is God grants us a pardon from our sin. That is the main essence of what this plan is. That's the main essence, the main start, because if we don't start in that moment, then we'll never get on the road. Some of you, when you're getting ready to start a trip to go on vacation or a long trip, there's that, are we ever going to get on the road moment? Or maybe several moments. Well, I just need to do one more thing. Oh, did I turn the curling iron off? Oh, I got to use the restroom. But God gets us on the road. God starts us out. Verse 4 is, is all about mercy. This not to, to something that we receive, that, that, that we deserve, not something that, that is actually even just. In fact, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is, is giving us something uh, or, or giving us a, 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 uh, a pardon from something that we should have specifically been punished for. Get this, if we waited until we deserved it, a place that we can never arrive on our own, just so you know. We can never get to a place where we reserve it, where we deserve it. We would not find out, or we'd find out that it's not a measure of God's action, but it's a measure of ours. If we get to a place, a place where, obviously, I wanted, I wanted to make this clear, we can't get there. You and I cannot get there on our own. But if we wait, or if we get to a place where we deserve it, then it's not about who God is and what he's done. It's only about what we have done to earn ourselves into a place where we do deserve it. Does that make sense? And he continues in verse 5 about this loving us while we're still sinners. What does this mean? It means that before we could do anything, God loves us. Before you, could, before you could even ask God for forgiveness, he still loved you. He still cared for you. He still sent his son to the cross for you. Before you were lovable, when you were still an infant, it was by the choice of God. I want to just... I'm going to ask a question. This is kind of a hypothetical, and it's going to get a little bit dark, and I apologize, but I think this will actually really help. Just think for a moment. You're getting ready for, for work or for school. You're looking at the clock, and you know that you are late. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be pushing it to get to where you need to be on time. If you're retired, maybe rewind to a time when, when you were still working and, and you're getting ready for the day. You get, get in the car, you look, you see you've got about five minutes to, to drive 15, right? Some of us have been there before. You start the car, you get going, and, and, and you're speeding, obviously, already to try to get there on time. And as you're driving, uh, you go through a school zone and you, you hit a child. And as you, you hit this child, the child actually passes away from the, from the accident. 
And from there, you, you, you stop, you, you're, you, you, you get out, you try to help this child, you're holding this child, the child passes away in your arms, and, and as, as the, the, the uh, inevitably what's going to happen is the, 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 the court comes, and, and, and after, or the police come, and they take you, and, 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 the, and the court rules, and you have you know, time, obviously, you're, you're going to spend time in prison, you're going you're to have fines, you're going to have all these things, and eventually, you do your time for the state. Eventually, you've gotten to a certain point where the state says, okay, you've done all the things that you needed to do to make up for your crimes. You've walked through all the motions. You've done everything. And at that point, you have earned your freedom once again. But in that same regard, there is a family that is struggling with the loss of a child. And God is like that family in some regard, because he chooses. He doesn't have to ever even grant you forgiveness for what you have done, which is killing his son. But God has granted you and I, while we are still sinners, something we cannot earn, something we can never put in the time, whether it be in prison or pay the fine for on our own. Instead, God says, okay, you are at this place. You can do nothing, but in the midst of your crime, in the midst of your shame, in the midst of your guilt, in the midst of all the things you're walking through, I love you and I pardon you. The point is this, God chose to love us. Maybe you want to cross out the us on there if you're taking notes and put me. God chose to love me, to love you, before we could do anything about it. Why did he do this if we knew we'd be ungodly? Here's, here's the crux of it. This is my, my favorite thing. Wait, wait for it because this is so good. In verse 7, in verse 7, he, he, he concludes with this, or, or he kind of pivots, I should say, with this really important thing. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so here, Paul is pointing toward this whole reflection and understanding that the evidence of what he does in and through you and I is to reflect or to show his grace and love. Because remember where we started at the beginning that it's all about God? It's all about the person of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not about us all to begin with. Instead, we are simply part of the, we're simply part of the, we get to be recipients, but we're part of the blessing ourselves. God is reflecting his character, his nature, his love through our shortcomings, through our sin. So because of the fact that we have been dead, God is now stepping in to use us as an opportunity to reflect the fact that he loves us and that he can love your neighbor, your family, your friends, your enemies. So the, the, the third point revolves around this question, how and why would God do this? How would he, how would he do all this work? Why would it be done? Verse 8 through 10 uh, concludes like this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this last part can be a little bit confusing because then you read it and you think, well, wait a minute, is this about something I'm supposed to do? Like God's handiwork, what am I supposed to do? What is this good works that he's placed before me? How do I do this work? Why is it done? Let me just say right here, the base of it is grace. And that point is uh, under verse eight, that point is this, we are not saved by anything that we do, but what Christ has done. Even our faith is a gift of God. He, He has devised a way of salvation that none of us can take credit for. It's not about... Jesus plus. It's Jesus, period. It's not Jesus and these things I can do or these specific, this specific prayer language I have or this amount of reading I do or this, this way that I serve. No, it's Jesus, period. And the implication is we can live in, in a place of rest, just a, a rest the way that, that he w- would call us to do so. Matthew 11, uh, ch- chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 can be really difficult to understand for the believer. Let me just read like this. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You might read that and think, what does that mean? Why, what do you mean it's easy? Why is the burden light? And the reality is because God's already done it for you. He's not talking about the Christian life at this point. What he's talking about is coming for that starting line, that beginning, giving your heart to him, that initial salvation moment. The burden is is easy, is light. The, The yoke is easy because God already carried it through the person of Jesus. And so it's easy because all we have to do is step forward and receive this sacrifice, receive this this new life, receive this transformation. Rather than try to earn it, rather than try to carry it ourselves. As I stated over the course of those last two, the implication we're free to pursue uh, and, and love him, that's the core of it. These two things together. We can live in a place of rest, free to love and pursue him. So because of the reality that God has stepped into our lives and provided a way, we can live in a place of rest because we don't have to continue to wonder, is God mad at me? We don't have to continue to wonder, am I really Am I really saved? Am I really in? Because God's promises are this, that he sent his son Jesus and whoever call on his name, receive his pardon, will be saved. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's not about this comparison game. Well, this person gave this much or this person did this much. No, it's not by works. We live in a place of rest, free to love and pursue him. I heard an illustration one time from another pastor talking about this idea of, of Grace Town. He called it Grace Land, but that's already been used, so I'm not going to use that. This is Grace Town. And Grace Town is, is this place where it's basically a, 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 an amusement park where you go and, and, and everything there is already paid for. You come to, to Gracetown and, and there is a, an admission to get in. But once you get into Gracetown, you can, you can ride all the rides. You can play all the games. All the meals are provided for you. You can have all the fun you want. And it's just a, a great festival, great party for everyone who's there. You know, as I'm kind of thinking, I'm even thinking about the music of, of a carnival where you're walking around and you're just having a good time. You're enjoying yourself. Probably having one too many fried something or other, right? And as I thought about that illustration, I kind of thought about the reality of what typically takes place, especially when you go to an amusement park or maybe uh, a fair specifically. You get to the fair and you pay to get in, right? 
And admission has been paid. You get there, you're in, and then you get in and you have to pay for the rides and you have to pay for the meals and you have to pay for the, 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 uh, the games and you have to pay to get into the exhibits and all the different things. And I can't help but think if these two specific entities were next to each other. You have Grace Town over here and you've got the, you know, the, the typical fair over here. And you get in and you're, you, you've paid. The admission has been paid. You're in. You get inside and you have to pay for all these different things. I can't help but realize that in a lot of cases, that's the way that believers live. We get to this place where we think that everything has to cost all these things. There's no such thing as grace. Instead, I have to earn it. I have to do it. I won't receive a free thing. I won't receive this, this free gift. And, and it's difficult for, for many to, to even receive something. While, while over here on the other side, we see all these people just riding along, having a great time. Hey, it's Grace Town. We're, we're just loving life. Easiest way for someone to end up in hell is to try to earn your way to heaven. Can I just say that again? The easiest way for someone to end up in hell is to earn or try to earn your way into heaven. Listen, if you come to, to God and attempt to grow, there's no way to remain who you are. If you come to God and you say, God, take me, use me, demo the things in my life that don't honor you, that don't line up with your gospel, that don't line up with your truth, demo those things. I want to be made afresh and anew. If you come to him, you, it's impossible. You cannot remain the same as you are in that moment. But however, when you come to receive salvation, you can be, do nothing because you have done nothing. He has. Christ is not calling us to be set apart in order to be saved. Instead, he's calling us to be separated after having us, after having saved us. Let me say that again. Christ is not calling us to be set apart in order to be saved. Instead, he's calling us to be separated after having saved us so that he can transform us to his image. As the passage continues, it talks about God's intention for us. It's, and, and the point, if you're following along, I'm getting to it. I know there's a couple left. Steve, that music's playing and I want to finish filling these blanks, right? We're coming down to it. But the, the, the point is this, that, that you are his workmanship. And that word there in the original Greek was, was the word that we use. It's pomea. It's, it's the word we use for poem. It's just something that an artist might use to express their heart and their mind and their spirit. It's so much deeper than simply just telling a story. So much deeper than just drawing a picture. It's this, this poetic form of expression. You are God's poetic form of expression. He's trying to reveal himself through you. I mean, that's the core of it. That, that's, that's ultimately what this is, is about. In essence, what Paul is writing here, especially as illustrated in verse 7, is that, hey, the, the point of all of this in a lot of ways is for, for us to be vessels, not just through our words and our actions, but also through our transformation, through our life, through what God has done in and through us. And so here's the question, and I'll, I'll ask it, and I'm going to phrase it a different way, but here's the question. Whose workmanship am I? Ask yourself, whose workmanship am I? 
Some psychologists might say that you're, today you're defined by, by the bad things that have gone on in your life, uh, by the things that have taken place that, 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 that someone else did to you, or mistakes that you made, or the things that, that, that revolve around the, the darkest points of your life. Let me just say that's not true. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, you're not defined by your sin. You're, de- you're defined by his work. You're his workmanship. And you can meander through life as a weather vane being pushed and, and directed by the winds of this world. Or it can be on the GPS, on the path that God has put, that he's breathing into your life every single day. You and I are somebody's or something's workmanship. Get that? We are a reflection of somebody or something's workmanship. Maybe it's our own spirit, our own thoughts of what we can do, what we can accomplish. Maybe it's those professors who poured into us. Maybe that's that mentor, that boss, whatever it might be. But ultimately, we are the product of someone's workmanship. And so the question I have once again is a spiritual, and the spiritual emphasis on this is whose workmanship are you? I'm going to close our time in prayer this morning. And as I do, I want that to be not just a rhetorical question, but I want to encourage you to share, to express the response to that question with a family member, with a friend, maybe today around the the, the lunch table or the dinner table, maybe even at, at community meal or family dinner, I should say, maybe in a class afterwards, maybe on the phone or, or with, a, with a, a friend or a coworker at work or at school this week. Somebody that you can speak to. And I want you to share your sermon for the week. Your life song for the week. Whose workmanship are you? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the reality that your word is true. And God, without it, certainly we would be lost. Without your spirit and the leading of of your spirit, God, certainly we we would be lost but we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that you're willing to demo those those areas of our life to peel away and to get to a firm place, God. Even sometimes during demo day, we we see, okay, we pull this back and we didn't figure out or we didn't figure we're going to have this mess behind it or this other thing behind it. Sometimes there's layers in us, God. And we just pray that you would get down to the core, to the root of it, to firm soil so that you might be able to plant afresh and anew, so that you might be able to bring forth God, a, a, a new understanding of who you are. Not just your proper theology, God, but also a relationship, your person, who you are in us. And so God, as we, as we continue to, to, to worship you this day, not just in this, in this room but, or, or joining online, but this day as we go from this place, this week, may our life song be one that reflects the fact that while we were yet sinners, you worked, you moved, you loved. God, bring forth a sense, a new paradigm, a new sense of understanding of who you are. Transform us. Make us fresh and anew in you. Help us to know you and grow in you. To be ambassadors for you. As we continue to walk through this letter together, Father, here uh, each week, may you continue to bring forth new truths to each one of us so that we might know you, grow in you, and understand your graces all the more. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Thank you for your love. 
Thank you for your engagement. Your son's precious and perfect and holy name that we pray here today. Amen. Amen. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, 10. Go this week knowing you're God's handiwork. Go this week engaged in him. Go this week excited to be his hands and feet. Go this week and enjoy grace world, grace town, because God has granted that to you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.